The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Good morning, Cross Life. <clears throat> For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm not the pastor. Thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty. Give me the words to say from the throne of grace. Use this vessel so that, uh, that you can instruct and guide and direct and let your will be done in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're talking about uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, if you want to go there. Pastor's been talking about it a little bit for the last couple of weeks. And uh, we've been talking about it for, I don't know, seems like the last couple of months in our little meeting there. So... Um, Last week, Pastor talked about uh, what you shouldn't do. What you should do, what you shouldn't do. Don't be like the hypocrites uh, that uh, much speaking in all their public prayers. So don't utter empty phrases or empty giving or, or, or the fasting they did. All those things were empty. Don't do those things, but do, 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 do these things. Uh, talked about entering into your own closet, you know, with the, the shawl over your head and everything. And he spoke on the God, the kingdom, and then us. And he concluded with God has a plan, provision, and our prayers are not about us, but about the kingdom. Now, when we were studying this, we were doing that Bible app, and we're still in the middle of that by the, um, uh, the Bible project. Anyways, um, when we were talking about Matthew 6 with the Lord's Prayer, uh, we, uh, we're in the Bible app. We were doing gen, uh, gen, going out of Genesis into Exodus, and I just saw this correlation in my mind, and the Lord just dropped it in my heart. And I've been pretty anxious to share it with you. Uh, maybe he's just speaking to me. Maybe you say, I know that already. But here we go. Uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13, and I'm going to be reading from the complete Jewish Bible. It says, you therefore pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us the food that we need today. Forgive us what we are, have done wrong. And as we too have forgiven those who have wronged us. And do not lead us into hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. For kingship, power, and glory are yours forever. Amen. Now, the Jews, when Pastor was talking about it, had this daily prayer they had in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. But I'm going to be talking about morning and evening prayers. It's called the Shema. He talked about it a little bit. Uh, it comes from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. And uh, it's kind of like a daily prayer of the ancient Israelite uh, tradition. It is equivalent of the Lord's Prayer, you know, the one we're studying today. And the Shema goes like, it, Shema is, takes from the first word of that verse. And it says, listen, Israel. Shema is, uh, well, it, it's a word that... Uh, well, let me read, the, read Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Sounds familiar, huh? They would say that and recite it twice a day at least. And it's just words, ritualistic words. Uh, uh, 
you know, uh, our Father who art in heaven, have all be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Thine be the power, the glory, and kingdom forever. And amen. Okay, I'm done for my morning prayer. Now I can go do business. You know, it was kind of like that. There was no thought behind it. it. It became so ritualistic. I'm not saying every Jew was like that. It was probably some that really thought about it. Did the sila type of thing. But for a thousand years they did this. Shema means to hear or listen or to pay attention. It's, it's to focus on or respond to what you hear. It means act upon what you hear. Uh, Exodus 19 verse 5, Shema, it means listening equals obeying from God's point of view of keeping in the covenant. And I'll read to you Exodus 19.5. It says, Now therefore, if ye will obey Shema, my voice indeed, and keep my commandment, then you are a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. There's no separate word for obey in the Old Testament Hebrew, the ancient uh, word. It means to carry out one's wishes, someone else's wishes, that knows more than you or is in, more, is in authority over you. So it, Shema means listen and obey. It's, it's just more than just hearing it. Okay, so what the Lord was showing me is that the Lord's Prayer is uh, a template for how we should pray. It's not something we take for granted. We just don't read it and we're done. Uh, we should think about it. But also, it's showing me it's a lifestyle. This is how we should be living. And it correlates to uh, Exodus when they uh, traveled a month out of uh, Egypt to Mount Sinai. And they stayed at Mount Sinai for an entire year. And God was raising them up, training them, showing them, leading them, uh, taking care of them. Uh, all these things he was doing to, to develop his kingdom in them. They were a kingdom. And uh, so this is... I see this as what's happening in my life too. God is leading me and directing me and showing me things and everything. And he's training me up, raising me up. And the Lord's Prayer is a kind of a, a template of how we approach God and uh, our petitions and requests and stuff like that. But the Jews, they had miracles. They had the, the manna in the morning. They had the quails in the evening. They had the pillar of fire, the pillar of the cloud, you know. And, and then they, up in Sinai, you could see the mountain. It was just with a covering of a dark cloud and lightning and everything. They saw all that. And what they do? They built a calf and started worshiping it. They had that right in front of them. Why would they do that? Yes. All right, Matthew 6, 9 to 13 in the King James Version, my favorite version. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He is our Father. We are his children. He wants to take care of us. But he is still holy. Jesus is reiterating this. Do you remember uh, Nadab and Abiah? I'm probably butchering that. That was Aaron's sons. You know, uh, they, they were priests and they ministered to the Lord and they, everybody come out from ministering into, unto the Lord and they were just excited about God and the, the fullness of the Spirit is happening on them. 
And these two guys, I'm just imagining, they're sitting around saying, man, that was great. We need more of God, right? Yeah, and they said, well, let's have a couple of drinks. And they get drunk. They get stinking drunk. And you know what? When you get stinking drunk, you have some bad ideas. But it sounds pretty good at the time. Hey, I know what we'll do, brother. We'll get some fire. We'll get an incense, put some, uh, in, uh, a sensor and put some incense in it. And we'll go and worship God, right? Nah, it didn't work out too good. You know the story. God killed them on the spot. He is our Father, and we have a way to approach Him, but you can't do it presumptuously. And we're going to see here how that follows up onto the uh, New Testament. In Exodus 34, 5-7, these are the characteristics God proclaims of Himself. He says, The Lord God, merciful, gracious, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgressing transgression and sin that and that by that will by no means clear the guilty we have all these great attributes but he ends it with he will not clear the guilty jeremiah says in 31 verse 32 not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in that day that i took them by the hand to bring them out of egypt which my covenant they break although I was a husband unto him. From God's point of view, these are toddlers, and he's taking them by the hand. He's got the food for them every day. He's walking them through, giving them water, everything that they need. And he says, I'm a husband to them. That's my wife. He's taking care of them. Galatians 3, 21 to 26. Well, Verse 24, we'll skip down there. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Speaking of the Old Testament Jews wandering in the wilderness. They were kids going to school. But after faith come, we are no longer under the law, under our schoolmaster, for we are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So these are just kids that he's growing up trying to teach them who he is. He is merciful, yet he is holy. I'm your father. I'm going to take care of you. You need to lean on me. You know, when I was five years old, I didn't worry about finances. I didn't worry about my food. I didn't worry about anything. I knew my parents would take care of me. I didn't know how or why, but they would. Romans 5, uh, 15, 4. For what's Whatsoever things are written aforetime was written for our learning. And First Corinthians 10, 1 to 11. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant how that our fathers under the cloud and passed through the sea. And then it goes on and on telling about all the Jews that they went through through the wilderness. It says, now these things were for our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Skipping down to verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ... as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. I never really thought about me tempting Christ like they tempted God and God destroyed them. Man, we got some mercy. We got a lot of grace going on now. I mean, how many of us have tempted Christ in one way or another and weren't instantly killed on the spot? So holiness translates into the New Testament. We cannot get away from it. We cannot be presumptuous. Now all these things happen unto them for our examples, that they are written for our admonition. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Think about that, because I'm going to be referring back to that. All right. Thy kingdom come. In Exodus 
19, it says, And ye shall, ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Obedience makes you become a kingdom of priests as a witness unto the nations. What does it say in First Peter? But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a holy nation. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom. And you see where I'm going here. I'm going to be talking a lot about the kingdom here. The next verse in Matthew. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In Exodus 25, he said, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is God's sole desire. He wants to dwell with us. New Testament, he dwells in us. Exodus 19.5 And now therefore, if you will obey my voice and indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be a, a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Matthew, uh, again back to the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Of course, your mind is racing ahead of me. Slow down. Exodus 16.4 Then the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. For you and all the people shall go out and gather a certain every day that I may prove them. This is a test. You know, God gives us our daily bread, both physical and spiritual. These are all to prove us. Not that he might find out what we're like. He already knows. He had to go to the cross for that. He wants you to know what you're like. It's the only way to come through repentance and be sorrowful for things that you may have transgressed. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For, you know, this thing always stumbled me up when I was a young Christian. I said, well, if I don't forgive my brother, God's not going to forgive me. So if I have resentment or a little bit of unforgiveness, I'm going to hell, right? Because I can't go to heaven if God doesn't forgive me. But this is not a, a quip per quo. It is, uh, if you're, if you're kingdom-minded and you have this mindset and God forgave me, I want to be like him. I want to be a citizen of the kingdom. So a kingdom-type person is one that most naturally forgives. It's not, well, if you don't forgive, God, I'm not going to forgive you. No, it's not like that. If you're truly kingdom-minded and you, and you believe this, it will just most naturally pour out of you forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Leviticus 6, 30, 16 to 34. And this shall be an everlasting statute to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. Leviticus 17. Life, is in the, life of the flesh is in the blood, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. There's no remission of sin without blood. And they had all the animal sacrifices, a prelude to Christ. Back to Matthew, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Numbers 14, God says that uh, because of all the men that which saw my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, ten times in the wilderness, God was leading them and they tempted him, they fell. And this is just before they went into the promised land. And you know what happened there. The 12 spies that came back and God said, no, you're not going into the promised land because you don't believe that my word. And for 40 days they were spying out the land, 
40, day, 40 years wandering in wilderness. And the interesting thing about that is, is and uh, I guess I've read it before, but I never really saw it. They, just before God said this to them, they said, would to God that we died in the wilderness, not go back to Egypt, we died in the wilderness, and our little ones will die with us instead of dying in the promised land. So God says, your wish is my command. And they died in the wilderness, but their little ones, they went on to the promised land. Now, what I'm going to do here is a Venn diagram. So, everybody know what a Venn diagram is? Well, you know now. A Venn diagram is a, a, is a, is a set, a mathematical set, and you have a subset in them, and you know the volume of this, you know the volume of that, and when you put them together, you get, it's for statistics and stuff like that. But we're not doing any math today. Thank, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we're just going to show pictures. All right, I'm going to explain it, and then I'll do the little drawings. When, first God, when God first created the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth existed within the same realm. Mankind dwelt with God in the garden, and the garden itself was a form of paradise. It was God's intention that heaven and earth continue to coexist like this. However, the fall of man made that impossible. Heaven and earth originally were overlapping dimensions. You know, this universe has 11 dimensions. Gravity has to go through all 11. That's why gravity is so weak. Just for a side. Uh, sin, heaven and earth, there, uh, sin came in and then heaven and earth were uh, now in totally different dimensions. When God, uh, when mankind chose to sin over God, the earth became ruined and imperfect place. God's realm, being perfect and purely holy, was no longer able to coexist with our realm and heaven and earth were driven apart. God had a plan to bring this all back together. Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This is part of the plan of getting this all restored. The first uh, reunions between heaven and earth took place in the temple. Here, animal sacrifices were used to atone in part for the sin of mankind, creating a clean zone. I'll refer to that again in a minute. When heaven and earth could meet and God could dwell with his people. We see this most clearly in the accounts of the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanction, a place in the inner temple where God himself resided and one of the high priests had to take the utmost care and precaution before entering. A uh, little side story. Uh, years ago, uh, before my late wife died, my mother, mother-in-law, her, her mother, had emphysema and she had a trach. And uh, she... 13% lung capacity. She was on oxygen. 40 years of smoking cigarettes. She would turn off the oxygen tank, light up a cigarette, smoke it real quick, put it out, turn on the oxygen so she could breathe. I know. <laughs> when you go outside, light up one for her. <laughs> so anyways, I had the job of suctioning out her trach because nobody else wanted to do that. So it's a glamorous job. It's a great thing to do. But so the thing you had to do is get a sterile field. So as she's laying there and she can hardly breathe, I open up this little kit, a little packet, has this napkin type thing, has gloves on it and plumbing supplies. And so I put the gloves on and then I open up the, the plumbing things, the little tubes and everything, put them together, hook it up to the vacuum and I'd stick it down her tray, and suction, all that good stuff out of there. Oh, Patty's freaking out. <laughs> but anyways, the whole point here is that I had to establish a clean zone 
because I could, just couldn't stick a straw down there or whatever because that I had to follow procedure or it would be unclean. Infection would get in. Okay, God has a procedure by approaching him and he has a clean zone and no unclean thing can get in there. You know, you're unclean ceremonially, according to the Old Testament, and then you're clean spiritually through animal sacrifice. Isaiah 6, 5 to 7. This is a story where Isaiah goes into uh, heaven and he meets with God and God wants him to go on a mission to Israel and be a prophet. And But he said, you know, my lips are unclean. I'm from a nation of unclean people. So an angel went to the coal, got a coal from the fire and touched his lips from the Holy of Holies. And when it touched his lips, it transferred that holiness to him. That's unheard of because in Old Testament and Jews, if you touched a dead body or something, you became ceremonial unclean and unclean. If you touch somebody else, they become unclean. But when something from the Holy of Holies touches something, it becomes clean. We're going to see this soon and talking about Jesus. Okay? So, John the Baptist said, said, proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. Christ said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Restoration of God's presence is like, like the garden. Now, Jesus is now the temple. He's the clean space. He went around walking around cleaning others. He, people would touch him. That, that usually would say, unclean, unclean. They'd touch him. They would become clean. They, it wouldn't be the other way around. Uh, and I want you to see this reality of the kingdom inside of you in this clean space, you know. I got this clean space around me about six feet. Wherever I go, I bring the kingdom of God with me. Whatever I touch becomes holy. Whoever I touch becomes clean. I can tell them of the, the gospel and the saving grace of Jesus Christ and how they might be a clean zone. And you'll see when I do this Vin thing, uh, the ramifications to that. Okay. Here we come. Revelation 21, 1 to 3. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And John saw the holy city coming down, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he dwelt with them. Okay. That's God's plan. He's always wanted to dwell with us. This is heaven and earth. And God said that it was good. Yeah, you get some points there. Okay, everything was cool, man. And then sin came in, right? With uh, A and E. That's not the entertainment channel. That's Adam and Eve. <laughs> um, so that separated, that, that dimensionally it separated the spirit world from the, the physical. I, I guess you can look at like before with heaven and earth like this, it was like this, heaven and earth overlaid. But when the sin came, it was like this. So dimensionally, you, you couldn't tell the difference here, but you can see the difference there. So, um, so here we have heaven, and it's good. And here we have the earth, and it's bad. All right. Okay. So, what's God going to do about this? He wants to restore everything back to this way. So, in the Old Testament, we still have heaven is good. 
And the earth, of course, is bad. But right here in the center, we have a clean space. And that is the tabernacle, the, uh, the temporary setup oops, sorry, of uh, the thing that a portable clean space that God can take everywhere. The Jews were involved in it, and that was his kingdom. This little, where the, the, the diagrams come together and this little spot, that's clean. The earth is still unclean. All right, now comes along Jesus. New Testament. Same thing, heaven's good, but no longer do we have uh, the tabernacle. We have the cross, and Jesus becomes our tabernacle. He's the holy of holy, walking around, touching people, clean, cleansing them, forgiving sins. He is not a propitiation for our sins. The earth is still unclean. Now, what, is, what, what would he have to do with that? Well, um, here we are. Yeah, I got saved, all right? So all of a sudden, there's a little clean spot right there. And that's not a, a proton, that's a, a cross in there. And so everything around me becomes clean. You know, somebody else gets saved. And here's another clean spot, okay? So in multiplicative factors, and we got all these little clean spots, and we're overrunning the planet like an infection and cleaning it. We're a disinfectant. We're getting rid of sin that's around us. And we have a, a, a tremendous influence on this world in a spiritual dimension. And, um, but, uh, this is not what God, this is, this is how it's working, but God wants it back to this state. He wants these two connected again. And this is heaven and earth. And this is what I just read in Revelation 21 where it's all been brought back together and this is all a clean zone again. And there's going to be a lot that's going to happen between now and then. Um, you know, we got the tribulation. We got the millennial uh, reign of Christ, a thousand years. And it's all a part of it. It's his master plan, but it's all to get us back to the clean zone where he can dwell amongst his people. And so that's how I see the Lord's Prayer. As I'm working through that, I'm seeing how God is working through me and others and how I should approach God. He is my Father, but He's also very holy, and I need to respect that and approach Him in a certain way, not disrespectfully, not presumptuously. So we're going to be learning a lot about the Lord's Prayer, and others will be speaking more directly uh, and details, but um, it's all very good. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is a good time too, because we're talking about forgiveness in his kingdom, that uh, he died so that you can be made clean, so he could have fellowship with you. And um, ask pastor, ask me, somebody after church, if you want to know more about that. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Lord, we just praise you and worship you for who you are, our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins and the things we've done wrong and help us to forgive others, Lord. And lead us not into the hard testing, Lord, but deliver us and make a way of escape. And you get all the glory, honor, and power in Jesus' name. Amen.